Hello everyone. Hello my little goslings. Welcome to this week's episode of The Smug Buds with me, Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes, and my perennial co-host. Will, hi. Hi. Hi, Liz. How are you how are you doing in chilly Arizona, apparently? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Uh went on a morning hike with some friends and uh wore a sweater and a sweatshirt. Oh my god. Yeah. What well, you never actually told me. We did talk about this off mic. How chilly is it actually there today? Uh, I could look up the temperature. Uh I am not sure what it was while we were out there, but it was brisk and it was windy. <laughs> oh, the wind the wind changes yeah. everything. The, yeah, the wind was the main issue. Uh right now it's 59 degrees. And that is at 6 p.m. local time. Mm-hmm. So I would guess it's probably it was between like, 50 and 60 Yeah, when we were out there. <clears throat> That's a good hike temperature. Just enough for you for your fingers to not get numb, but also for you not to really sweat too much. Yeah, it was a good time to be out there. It was refreshing. Um, How are you? I, ha- I have a – well, I'll, I'll tell the listeners really quick. I've had a terrible mm-hmm. day. Um, <laughs> I was, I was going to go to a funeral. Um, so that would have been the good version of my day. That's not the version that didn't happen in this universe, um, mm. in this, of the universe of the multiverses. Um, instead I was, my, the, the funeral was about, um, an hour and 15 minutes away and I, uh, but that was without traffic. And so I got about an hour into my drive and I had about another 45 minutes left and I was on the highway and my car turned off. Has this ever happened to you? No, nothing like it. And that sucks. And it's scary. It uh, was very scary. <laughs> yes. You've told me this, but you haven't told me everything. So I do genuinely still have some questions. For example, I never asked you how fast were you going? <laughs> Okay, that's a great question. So I had just hit, so I had actually just passed a really terrible accident. So this was the other thing. I had just, so it's pouring rain. I just passed this accident where I had seen the whole front, like the whole, not just the bumper, but like also the grill and the like headlights of a car facing towards me. And then I had moved to the side to go past this car and there was an express lane to the left of me. And from the express lane to the left of me, we have these in, um, the DC area. Do, do you know what I mean when I say an express lane? Yes. Yeah. So it's a it's a lane to the left, and it's separated from the normal road, but only by sort of um, bouncy uh, plastic sticks. Mm-hmm. And I realized today this is partially so that, for example, a fire truck could just drive directly over them and suddenly block the road that I was mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So I had driven around that. The car was totally turned around. It was like facing the other direction. It had tarps all over it. So somebody might have died. So yeah. that wasn't great. Maybe right. more than one person. Who knows? Bad omen. Um, I'm a good 20 minutes after that. And um, I'm going like maybe 50 miles an hour. There was mm. a little bit of traffic. Mm-hmm. And I all of a sudden my podcast, I was listening to the JV Club with Janet Varney. Um, I was hoping to listen to more podcasts, but I only got partway through the 300th episode of that. I listened to and that recently. Yeah. Did you, I, did you finish it? Yeah. It was the first time in quite a while that I've tuned into the JV club. But Dude, I, you're I'm not the only one. That's because she didn't put out episodes for like two months. Yeah. Longer than that. But 
<laughs> but I, I, I am a fan, if not the most devoted listener. And I'm also a fan of, of her guest on the 300th episode. Yes. Um, his band, Say Hi, formerly known as Say Hi to Your Mom. I've been a fan <laughs> since they were Say Hi to Your Mom. Wow. I've only been a fan since they were the theme song to the podcast and I listened right. to them. Um, yeah. So I was listening to that and it, oh, side note, um, last year when I was seeing Rhea Butcher in Lancaster, mm-hmm. Kenny went to Awesome Con in DC and didn't, was like, I'm just going to go to Awesome Con. And they come back and he had met Janet Varney with Elliot. Mm-hmm. And so now we have this framed photograph of Elliot and Janet Varney, who <laughs> who I dream about consistently, yeah. um, but have never met, but my husband and son have on the wall. <laughs> and so now Elliot will point to this picture and go, um, Papa, Elliot, Nanette. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you're not in that picture. <laughs> Isn't it? It's devastating. And like, I saw Rhea Butcher and I love mm-hmm. them. Yes. But like... And I also actually dreamt about Rhea Butcher last night. So I just dream sure. about all these people. Yeah. I think we know, you and I know, that yes. I dream about people constantly. <laughs> yes. And our listeners, but, our goslings are getting to know. Oh, God. Just everyone at all times. Um, but, um, yeah. So I'm listening to that. All of a sudden, it cuts out. I look at my GPS, which is built into my car. It's not mm-hmm. like a separate yeah. thing. Right. That's off. I look at my – I'm slowing down. Mm-hmm. I'm, I look at my, my dashboard. A bunch of lights are on, but none of them make sense. Like, like it was like ones I've never seen before. It, there was a battery that showed up at one point, but then mm-hmm. that turned off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also telling me my tire pressure was low, which I knew was not true. Right. <laughs> um, so I all of a sudden I'm like, I think my car's turning off. I think my car's turning off. And then I looked behind me. Luckily, nobody was behind me in that moment. I was only, mm-hmm. I was not in the right lane, but I was um, only, one, I was one lane mm-hmm. over from the right lane. So I was able to pull very quickly into the shoulder before, mm-hmm. which by the way, my power steering is gone. So right. if you ever wonder how hard it is to turn your wheels without power steering, it's not easy. <laughs> Yeah. And then I stopped and I turned off my car and I tried to turn it back on and nothing happened. Oof. Not a light, not a blink, not a boop, not a not a jingle, not a uh ring, 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 exhausted ring, ring. groan. Right. That's what I was trying to do just now. <laughs> not a uh. Yeah, and so then I spent uh, $1,400 and I got home. It was easy. Woof. <laughs> it only took me from 11 in the morning until 5, 15. Yeah, speaking about dreams that you frequently have, sounds like a living nightmare. It was a living nightmare. It was terrible. And I'm I didn't so even sorry. get to go to the goddamn funeral. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry you missed that funeral. <laughs> Shout, shout out to James, my my dear friend James, who uh, whose mom died and who had a, a worse day, I'm assuming, because I wasn't there. Of course. <laughs> that yeah. was, I'm sure, what he was thinking about um, the whole time. I'm kidding. Uh, if you haven't picked up on my uh, my brand of sarcasm yet. Well, Liz, um, you really light up a funeral. It's one of the reasons that we're friends. Okay. Okay, so one other thing about this, which is that James's mom, who was I've met before um, mm-hmm. a couple of times, I was in James's wedding, and um, I he had a book come out last year 
um, and I went to the, she was at the book launch that I went to, mm-hmm. um, who was a delight, um, requested that everyone wear their brightest colors to this funeral. Aww. So I, w- I wore a bright green suit with a yellow shirt and a tie that was purple, yellow, and green and a red hat. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was wearing <laughs> in the fucking car dealership. And I looked like a clown. Did you tell a handsome them clown. why? Oh, yeah, I told everyone why, because they'd be like, because then this fucking woman comes and she starts trying to sell me a car, which I'm like, I'm not in the fucking mood for this today, lady. She's wait, like, she, wait, wait, when you say she tries to sell you a car, did she think that you were just anyone off the street or did she know why you were there? No. So she comes over. She goes, hey, how are you doing today? I, I hear that your car is here. Um, what happened? And I was like, I thought she was somebody trying to tell me like that my car was ready because it was like almost uh-huh. time for that. It was like an hour away, but I thought there was like an update. Yeah. I'm like, well, I was on my way to a funeral <laughs> when my car turned off in the middle of the road and I missed. And she said, are you going to make it to the funeral? I said, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then she's like, well, I just wanted to know if you wanted to trade your car in. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> Actually, that's not even what I did. I was so bored mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was like, well, you know, I really just like this Honda Accord Cross Tour and you guys don't make them anymore. So she like led me to the showroom. A nice man named Justin Smith from North Carolina told me all about the Honda Accord. I said to him, wow, I bet there's a million people with your name. And he said, he said, yes, ma'am. You know, when I when I have to do anything on social media, it's never Justin Smith. It's always Justin Smith 1, Justin Smith 2, Justin Smith 3. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I shook his hand like three times. <laughs> I climbed into the trunk of a car because I was trying to figure out how the seats went down. What? <laughs> He's like, oh, the handle's here. I was like, oh, Jesus, it's so hidden. Mine's so much easier. My car's better. <laughs> they don't make them like your 2010 Honda Accord anymore. No, they don't. God, that car. I love that. I love that car. I mean, it's still alive. It's not like it's dead, but it's, you know, someday it's not long for this world compared mm-hmm. to me, a human who will drive it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's what I did today. Um. I do have one Gosling update for you. Oh, please. It's actually a Ryan Gosling update. Oh, new segment? No, I think it'll only be this one time. So Ryan Gosling just had a book of photographs come out, I think. I might be getting this totally wrong. Okay. I'm trying I'm pretty... not to roll my eyes. Um, I'm okay. going to be open-minded about this. Let me let me just look this up really quick. I'm going right. to do some on-the-fly. Um, um, research? Research. So, okay, yes. So Ryan Gosling just um had a book come out or no he yes yes he did he had a book come out of photography taken in um the congo to congo congo not the congo okay and um he says quote i'm not a photographer i didn't go with the intention of taking pictures for a book i didn't know i was taking what i was taking pictures of and why and i thought they would might be useful at some point um and so he started doing this and so now he's um traveling with people of color from congo and talking about his book um so for the record he's not just being like i'm a white dude (laughs) Mm -hmm. check me out (laughs) 
But my friend um, works at Politics and Prose. Um, I wonder if she's on the website, and I will can tell you her actual like title. I think she's like events coordinator at Politics and Prose. Do you know what Politics and Prose is? Uh, no. Okay, so Politics and Prose is a um, DC coffee house, bookstore, wine bar, restaurant mm-hmm. thing. Okay, and. Uh, I think that's where she works. There's like politics and prose and there's busboys and poets. And I know that they're different, but they are similar. (laughs) And I don't frequent them that often. But um, so like she coordinates events there. And Uh so Ryan Gosling had an event there and she met him and was Uh hanging out with him and Uh said he was really lovely. Well, that's nice. Um, So that's my Gosling update. It's always exciting to have a brush with fame. I know, right? Is that what brush with fame means? Is that when you meet a famous person? Or does brush with fame mean that you have the spotlight of fame for like a second or like tangentially? Or is it both? You know, or I, think, I think it's traditionally the second, but I think mm. that with the rise of social media that it could mean the first now. Mm. Language is fluid. Yeah. You know, we're ever evolving. Mm-hmm. Um... So I think that's all the updates, you know, really important updates that I have. Yeah. I, um, um, do, you, do you have anything before we get into this app? No, I'll just say that uh, we might talk more about Ryan Gosling in the next episode that our Goslings will hear. Uh, it's not the next episode that we're going to record, mm. but it is probably the next one that we're going to release and... Besides going on a hike today, uh, I also I also watched a film. Oh. And uh, we are also inevitably going to talk about that film uh, in the next episode. Nice. And uh, I'm being vague because this is supposed to be mysterious in an exciting way. Yes. And how else will our listeners keep listening? Certainly they're not listening for our, you know, researched and well-rehearsed content. They're only listening for cliffhangers. I will say to tease it more that when we are recording this today is december 15th and the film that i watched today is brand new and i could have seen it at the local art house cinema but instead i watched it at home on netflix oh wow yes like a bad consumer look at you being bad for the local economy yeah, not You also it just local. told me you bought a bunch of stuff at local stores though, so I think you're fine. It's true. I did do most of my Christmas shopping very locally. I don't think I've bought anything on Amazon for this season. Yeah. That's so much better than I am. <laughs> Please join me in patting myself on the back. Thank you. Thank you. Um so Will, what are we talking about today? Well, it's what am your, I talking about today? That's right. It's your turn to talk and, and my turn to listen. And you are going to be talking about the poet Rupi Kaur. Yes, Kaur. We looked up how to say her name. I'm sure that we're not saying with the... It, she's she's uh, Indian-Canadian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure that we're not saying it with the nuance that we should. But um, for the core, I think Rupi is pretty mm-hmm. standard. Rupi Kaur. Um, yes. 
And uh, the full title of this episode that I had on our episode ideal list. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we you here's a little peek behind the curtain. We have a list of episode ideas, and then if we record them, we um, put a little date next to it, and we have our name and the idea, and then if there's going to be research that we have to do, because um, some episodes are more easy to uh, get ready for than others, mm-hmm. and. Uh, my Rupi Core episode title is called here. It, you know, on the the website, it'll just say you'll just say you know episode whatever Rupi Core. But this says Rupi Core is annoying and not really a poet, except that's problematic. But then why is she still so annoying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what? So just briefly, I'm, yes. I'm I know that you know more about this than than just this. But in you know one or two sentences, could you tell me who Rupi Core is? This is this is perfect. This is this is what I like to call getting a baseline where it's your topic, but a good place to start the conversation is to find out what I know about it. And what I yes. know is very little. Oh, okay. Rupi Core is a published poet mm-hmm. whose books are apparently very popular. True. Her poems are very short. Yes. And before she had books, she was popular on, I I would have said Tumblr if you asked me an hour ago, uh-huh. but then when I was Googling her to learn how to pronounce her last name, I learned that it might have been Instagram, not Tumblr. Maybe yes. it's both. Yes. It's, I don't know about the Tumblr so much. Instagram is how I know her. Okay. Well, that makes, I guess, just as much sense. So I'm going to give a little bit of background here um, because I was – so I, I'm also going to reference a little bit our, our friend Sarah, our mutual friend Sarah, mm-hmm. um, one of my best friends, somebody who, as, as Sarah once said drunkenly to hmm. me, I talk to you every day and I miss you every day. Mm. <laughs> um, Sarah lives here with me. She lives with you in your house. Not uh, with She's me, with in the me. closet. <laughs> um, Sarah, come no. on out. Hey, welcome in, Smugbutt, no. our first guest. No. Um, I'm going to reference conversations with her today because when I was um, slowly dying of depression at the car dealership, I, um, she said, is there anything I can do to help you besides just listen? And I said, can you talk me through some of these things? Because I've talked to her about this before and she gave me some extra information. So okay. she had not remembered this, but and I only learned this later, but I, I've known it more recently than she did. Um, in 2015... Uh, Rupi had a photograph banned from Instagram. And mm. this is how she first got famous. She had a photograph of her. Um, and I'm, I'll send you a um, link to this because it's on her website. Um, so you can look at it. Okay. Um, a photograph of her. She's in bed. And she's facing away from the camera. She's got a comforter sort. She's wearing like a tank top and gray sweatpants and she's got a comforter sort of over her legs and right on her butt and a little bit on the sheet is like the smallest little pool of menstrual blood mm. um it's an incredibly unoffensive photograph <laughs> okay and in fact the other photographs on the in her series um uh which was just called period um that she was doing when she was at i believe RISD. um Oh, no, she did. She go to RISD. She went to art school. I don't know why I'm saying RISD. Maybe because of something else. Um, she went to art school and she was doing this as part of her thing. The other ones are actually, I think, more graphic. Um, as somebody who is not uh, give any cares about uh, blood and especially menstrual blood, because I see it all the time and I think it's fine. Um, 
this one in particular is just like not super graphic there's even if you aren't a person that likes blood it doesn't look super bloody you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and instagram banned this photo would you agree that this photo is like not super super like offensive uh my computer has been quite slow I will remark on the photograph as soon as I see it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay, sorry. She has a degree in rhetoric studies. But she doesn't say where. This is, like, useless to me. Your your website's not useful, Rupee. Um, (laughs) First gripe. (laughs) So um, she um, gets banned. And when this happens, you know, it's reported on. People respond to it because, you know, clearly there's basically almost nude women on Instagram, which is also fine as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, depending on the context. And, uh, you know, she has a small amount of menstrual blood and nobody can handle that and it gets banned. So mm-hmm. it got put, it got reinstated and, but now she has like a bunch more followers. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. My uh, computer is still uh, paralyzed with... Uh... <laughs> fear presumably uh (laughs) so i brought it up on my phone and uh yeah i'm looking at it and yeah it's exactly the sort of thing that uh would be banned from instagram and then cause an uproar because there's no good reason to ban that yes so um after this, she started posting poems on Instagram, and she did this with this very specific um, aesthetic. So um, all of the poems are short enough that they fit into a single Instagram block. Um, they all have um, her name at the end, um, like, and sometimes they have a title too, which normally, you know, the t- you know somebody's. Nate, title and name are going to be at the top of the poem hers is at the bottom mm-hmm. um and she they very often though not always have a little illustration that she's done a little pen and ink line mm-hmm. drawing right um, so when you say that each poem fits in an instagram block the the poem is in the photo right yes the it's, poem is in the photo the, fo- the, poem, the poem is the picture it's not a com- you know, it's not in the, it's not in the, the caption. Portion. The caption. Right. Okay. I'm following. Yes. And then she also does this very specific thing on her Instagram account, which, as you know, when you're looking at the gr- the grid on Instagram on somebody's profile, mm-hmm. um, it does a, th- a three pictures per line. Mm-hmm. And so she very specifically posts um, without almost without fail, I'd say, a poem and then a photograph so that it's always checkerboarded with photographs Uh, and poems uh so the aesthetic of this i just want to say is incredibly pleasing to look at right yeah so um she starts publishing these poems they get very very popular she has currently by the way this is in um this is all starting in like 2014 2015 um she has 3.3 million followers now on instagram on instagram wow um and let's see, her most recent poem um, has 266,000 likes, and she published it three days ago. And just to put that in perspective, I am nobody, 
and on Instagram, I I don't have an Instagram. Well, that's I, not putting anything in perspective. I, I have zero <laughs> followers and zero <laughs> likes on Instagram. Well, if you look, we have a SmugBuds Instagram now. That's right, we do. By and the we time have about five. This. We have five. Not by the time we have it oh. right now, dude. Oh. <laughs> I've posted two photographs of us. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'll check that out. <laughs> I'm clearly doing – I don't know if I've explained – a brief side note to our listeners. I don't Please. know if I've explained this or not, but um, Will and I have very democratically split up the duties. Um, mm. We're very uh, good at this. I have a lot of experience of splitting things up equally because of being married, and I've done it – Will and I have done a good job with it in our uh, uh, podcast marriage. We're podcast um, married. So um, Will does all of the sound editing and he posts everything to SoundCloud hypothetically eventually. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. haven't actually done that yet. Yeah, and cool. also is going to figure out how to put everything onto the various platforms that people access podcasts on. I don't know how to do any of that, so I didn't do that. I built our website and I run the social media. And then, of course, we both split the duties of the content of the actual podcast. And so I am doing a great job. Because our Instagram is already up and running and has photographs on it. I uh, tried to look up that Instagram on my phone just now. And instead (laughs) of finding that profile, I found the hashtag SmugBuds, which apparently (laughs) one person has ever used for one single post. Yes. Uh, Are you familiar with this? No, No. You haven't seen Oh, okay. No, it is a stranger to me. (laughs) <laughs> who is uh, uh, posing with uh, their cat. So oh, that's pres- good. Presumably they are the smug buds referenced by the hashtag. Well, let me tell you, um, we currently have now 14 followers and we have two posts and we're following one person and that's me. Yes, I see that. It is you. I I think I wanted to, I don't know how, uh, if we'll actually do this or not, but Danny Danny Avedon from the Game Grumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're just going to will the people we love into this podcast. So I'm just going to say oh, yeah. Paul F. Tompkins' name, mm-hmm. Paul F. Tompkins, just to like bring him in. But Danny Avedon, uh, his Instagram, he has three. He follows three people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he follows Ninja Sex. I'm I I'm mm-hmm. saying this off the top of my head. He follows mm-hmm. Ninja Sex Party, his mm-hmm. band. He follows uh, uh, Dan Dana. Avedon, his yeah. sister, mm-hmm. and he follows Rush. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I could have guessed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, in fairness, I guess I would have guessed Game Grumps, but... Yeah, actually, now I'm thinking, I don't think, he f- I don't think he follows Game Grumps. I guess he lives it, so... Yeah, I Why guess, but he? he lives Ninja Sex Party, too. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Maybe he... I don't know. If I were him, I guess I might feel the need to, like, keep an eye on what brian is doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah he just follows ninja sex party rush and his sister yeah um anyway so that was a real big side tangent but um I yeah love so <laughs> so so yeah so she does this and then she publishes mm. milk and honey um which is her first book she self-publishes it she self-publishes it and she gets some flack for this by people who say that that's not a traditional way to um publish and she'll be banned from like prestigious literary circles there's an article um an interview with her from the from the guardian that was published in um oh where's the the august of 2016 um so this is a little over two years ago 
And um, in it, she says uh, that, (laughs) this makes me laugh. She says, there was no market for poetry about trauma, abuse, love, loss, and healing through the lens of a Punjabi Sikh immigrant woman, she says. Which I just want to say, because she was saying that the traditional path of submitting her worth to anthologies, magazines, and journals was yielding little success. And I just want to say, I don't think that's why that was happening. Mm. But okay. Um, so it's very popular. She, now she's on things like the New York Times bestseller list. <clears throat> and she was on Cosmopolitan. She was on the cover of Cosmopolitan, of Cosmo, the magazine, the mm-hmm. women's magazine, the, the formerly business magazine. Yes. <laughs> um, she is all over the place. Emma Watson's interviewing her. Um, and she was on Jimmy Fallon. She was on Jimmy Fallon and, um, poets as we know them, like the poets that we know that like we actually know like that, you. like me, uh, well, not like me, but <laughs> similar to me, but not me specifically. And I'll get why into this. Hate okay. her. Hate it. Yeah. And can you guess why they hate her so much? Um, because her poems are boring it's because her poems are bad <laughs> yeah now okay let me back up here let's try to be because... a little more specific than bad yeah so this is where i think this whole thing becomes very complicated because there's yeah. a lot of things going on here let me read you one of her poems please this is the poem that she published three days ago and i think that this is a pretty good representative poem okay let it go let it leave let it happen nothing in this world was promised or belonged to you anyway all you own is yourself rupee core and then there's a picture of a hand. And I just want to say, her her illustrations, I actually think, are usually fine. This hand is, like, terribly drawn. This one in particular <laughs> is not good. Letting go of a kite. Okay. Um, so she does, now, like, like, pen drawings. Yes. And normally they're actually, you know, quite, I think those are actually the most interesting part, um, mm-hmm. usually. But this one is actually, this one is actually bad. Most of them are fine. <laughs> this okay. one isn't. Right. Um. And all of her poems like th- are like this. So her poems are short. She just can't have worked on them for that long. And by this I mean um, when a poem is not long, there's just only so much you can revise it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, they're uncomplicated to the point of cliche. Yes. Um, they lack a lot of imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some imagery sometimes, but it's usually pretty repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, let me read you. And, and yeah, and so they're all um, like this. And she's, you know, kind of the most popular poet around right now. Yeah. Um, I, listening to that example, I was reminded of like the uh, like a a motivational poster. Yes. That might be hanging in a classroom or something because it's basically just generic platitudes. Yes, exactly. So like here's another one. This one has a nice little drawing of a a, a little larva 
eggs and then a caterpillar and then a little chrysalis and then a butterfly. Very nice. Mm -hmm. And this is the poem. You do not just wake up and become the butterfly. Go on. That's it. <laughs> and then the poem is called Growth is a Process, Ruby Carr. Core. Ruby Core. Ruby Core. And I apologize for to everyone every time I say her name wrong because I just learned how to pronounce it today because I've never actually heard anyone say it. And Will and I actually had a really hard time. We watched like a bunch of YouTube videos and could not find anybody saying her name. It took a very long time. The first Google result not the videos that show up at the top, but the first actual link result was like a how do I pronounce it website. And that website, which was the first result, yeah, um, had a recording in which someone was saying cower, not core. <laughs> so we were like, and that's not correct. We were immediately led astray. But then, yes, more sources were saying core, right? So, um, so, yeah, I don't think these poems are good. <laughs> yeah, when I think if you ask me um, what is the most generic, most cliche, most overdone image that could, you know, stand in for a metaphor in a poem, mm -hmm. um, yeah, caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly would probably leap to my mind first yeah if you ask me what word have i seen used in the most poems uh, i would say femur that word is femur really femur i've never <laughs> written a poem about a femur i guess i got yeah, to now I, I i'm i'm exaggerating when i say the most poems but i i feel like i've i've seen it enough that it strikes me as a uh, particularly poetic word it's just one of those things where if you're a poet you know chances are you'll you'll probably write about bones at some point oh yeah or, i've definitely written about bones yeah or or at least use a bone as an image <laughs> if you're writing about something else mm -hmm. and uh poet's better instinct i think is to be specific and so oh right and so then it becomes femur femurs, is just, yeah. yeah it just be it becomes femur I know there was definitely a time when I was in high school when a lot of um, – I would say both in the vein of like the music we were listening to and then also in the vein of the, the poets that we were either writing – like the poems we were writing or the poets we were reading were using a lot of um, collarbone imagery and also a lot of wrists. Hmm. So it would be like, you know, like, you know, the flash of her wrist in the sunlight or something. I don't know. It would be mm -hmm. not good. So, so the other thing I want to say here is I'm going to, I'm going to read now. I don't, I don't want to talk about her poems too, too much because yeah. I, I think that that's not totally the point, but I do want to get across a sense of these. So I'm going to read you, well, do you want to go with, do you want to hear the thing that I would say is not a poem or do you want to hear the thing that I think is a poem? <laughs> uh, can I hear them both? I'm very curious. <laughs> oh no, you'll hear both, but which oh. do you want to hear first? Um, could I, could I guess? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, no, you'll know. Just tell okay. me what you want to hear first. Give me the not a poem. 
Okay, so the Nada poem, this was published on Instagram on March 29th. The image is a very evocative image of a woman on her back. I believe I sent you a screenshot of this. Her legs are spread and her finger is, her hand is uh, delicately placed between her fingers. Her breasts are exposed. She's not, it's not like a fully drawn woman. So like part of her shin's missing and her sides aren't really there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you see her eyes are closed uh, in pleasure. Mm. And here is the poem. I just want to say, apparently this is on page 107 of The Sun and Her Flowers, so this is 100% published, not just on Instagram. Okay. I want to honeymoon myself. Is that it? End. Finn. Mm-hmm. Not, and I just want to say, not a poem. Barely a tweet. Barely a tweet. And I think that... Um, I mean, and this gets to the question of like, well, what is a poem? Is mm-hmm. anything, you know, anything can be a poem. Is anything a poem? Like, yes. what makes something not a poem? The conversation and I think that, that I had 100 times in grad school <laughs> and not <laughs> right. even in classes, just talking but to my I, poet friends. I think that this sentence is uh, not interesting. I think it's um, cliche. I think it also. Uh, has the tone of something closer to a um, shirt that a divorcee would wear um, <laughs> than... I want a honeymoon myself. <laughs> right? On a bumper sticker on the bumper um, of a Subaru. And so I think that for something for something to be a poem, I think there has to be a certain amount of... Um, craft involved Mm -hmm. i think that there has to be some sort of at least acknowledgement of the history of poems even if that acknowledgement is a rejection of it Mm. um and i think that there needs to be line breaks i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) um but i think that um I think that there needs to be some sense, and I don't think it. Nece- and the other thing is, I don't think it necessarily has to have all of those things, mm-hmm. but it has to have some of those things. And I feel mm-hmm. like this has none of those things. Mm-hmm. So I would just like to say, this is not a poem, and it's something. It might even be art, but it's not a poem specifically. I can sign off on that. Here is what I think is the best poem I've read of hers. Okay. I could not contain myself any longer. I ran to the ocean in the middle of the night and confessed my love for you to the water. As I finished telling her, the salt in her body became sugar. Hmm. And it says, um, it's an ode to another work. And then in the, the, um, comments, she has... Some of the love poetry in The Sun and Her Flowers, flowers was directly inspired by the folk Punjabi music I grew up on. Hmm. This music carries tales of love, longing, and devotion. In this particular poem, I pushed the inspiration further by illustrating a very famous Punjabi epic titled, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong, and I just really, really apologize for that, um, Soni Mahiwal, as painted by the 20th century Sikh artist Sopha Singh. Sopha Singh produced hundreds of works in his lifetime, touching on everything from Sikh history to historical or Sikh history Mm -hmm. to historical reimaginings to Punjabi epics. I can confidently say that most Punjabi and or Sikh households own his work. We have five. Um, So the point is, is that this this is doing a lot of those things that I just said that a poem should do. So it's in conversation with something else, which not every poem has to be in conversation with something else this explicitly, Mm -hmm. but this one is. Um, 
Right. There is some metaphor going on here. Yeah. There's some um, imagery. Yeah. There's a turn to the poem, right? Yeah. So we um, start with this sort of declaration. I could not contain myself any longer. I ran to the ocean in the middle of the night and confessed my love for you to the water. And then there's a turn mm-hmm. as I finish telling her the salt in her body became water. So there's just a lot of things here that indicate to me that this is a poem. <laughs> right. And part of it is the length, right? It's quite short. Yes. But there's an emotional resonance that come that comes from this yeah. that isn't purely based on reaction. Uh, sorry, what do you mean by that? So like, I want to honeymoon myself is like, kind of makes you giggle, right? Okay. But what else do you do with it after that? Nothing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, okay. So those are, those are, I think, the two ends of the spectrum. And I think that the mm-hmm. poems I read at the beginning are in between that. Okay, yeah. And I think that what the in-between is closer to her standard of what she's, the note she's hitting more. So, so a lot of people really, really hate Rupi Carr. And here are the reasons why for this. Um... The first is that um, they think that her poems aren't good. And I think that we can say that um, a lot of them by a lot of the standards that we have are not. Now, that said, yes. Sorry, I don't want to derail you. I just wonder, because you and I have known each other for 10 years. We know all about our backgrounds. Yes. But, you know, everybody's... You know, every episode is somebody's first episode. So <laughs> just I wonder, could could you articulate like where our standards are coming from? Right. So so if you haven't listened to our first couple episodes, um, Will and I both went to school for creative writing for undergrad. Um, and then I went to um, get an MFA, a Master's of Fine Arts, in poetry. And Will um, has a master's degree in – is it in creative nonfiction specifically? Yes. Um, I think actually both of my degrees are technically in just creative writing, but whatever. My focus in my grad school is definitely – technically in English, but it, with a concentration in creative nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I've read a lot of – poets and i've read a lot of poems i also just want to say that i um came from um a background of internet poem poetry if that makes sense so like the first poems i really fell in love with was by uh, my pen pal adrian zawali zawali um this is a man who's 10 years older than me that i've never met (laughs) who i found on diary land when i was 16 and he was 26 and yeah i know right (laughs) and we wrote each other back and I wrote him letters for years. I wrote him letters and he would write me letters back. And um, I still have poems of his memorized. Um, uh, like um, Lipstick and Dynamite, Gasoline Alley. She had dreams like Cannonball. She watched the troops ra- rally. And after each nightmare, we forgot about how we mistook all those diamonds for fool's gold. They're just in my brain. Um, there was one poem that I just, it was, it was, it wasn't like it didn't rhyme. It was just like, if anything, you are nothing like a sunset. There are vague things about you that remind me of stumbling home at four in the morning and wondering exactly what the hell happened to bring things to this strange kind of conclusion. Like, I don't know how in, you do that. <laughs> they're in my body. And these poems have been in my body for years. Um, 
Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I came from that. I also mm-hmm. have a spoken word background. I um, wrote spoken word poems for a lot of um, high school, um, which I performed at adult spoken word competitions, like mm-hmm. at a bar in Harrisburg. <laughs> and I got 10th place. Um and yeah, that was actually really impressive because I was going up against, I was 17 and I was going up against people who were like, um, you know, in their 20s and 30s mm-hmm. and very established and I was a kid. Yeah. And later I met, a, I, I met a woman like five years later that had seen me at that competition and I was talking to her and she was going to a, um, a low residency program and I was like, I somehow mentioned that I had done this slam competition and she was like, oh, that was you. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> she was like, because I only did it the one year because the second year I was gone when the competition was happening. And um, she like basically was like, they talked about me. They were like this small girl, <laughs> <laughs> like like whirlwinded her way on stage, got 10th place and nobody ever saw her again um, <laughs> until now. Um, and so, uh, and then, which is to say that, like, I know that there's classism in poetry and that's part of what I Mm want to get to here. Right. Right. So, um, poetry is, uh, very, for a very long time has been very rooted in academia. Right. Um, what is considered legitimate poetry. Um, legitimate poetry has for a very long time been rooted in what white men were writing. Yeah. Um, Poetry, which is true of, you know, everything, but um, it's not like poetry was necessarily like a woman's space. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the way academia was set up, where professors taught their students, and so profess- there were white male professors, and they picked people that were like them, so then their favorites became white male students, and then because of that, they were teaching white male writers, and then they were taught white male writers, you know, when she says things like there wasn't really a space for a Punjabi um, folk uh, lens of poetry, I think that that's probably right. But I don't think that's what was why the people at the literary journals were rejecting her poems. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that um, the other reason that so so when I say that her poems are not good, I don't think that they're super. Um, rigorous i don't think that's a word that Denez smith has said and i'll i'll get back to what he said in a little bit but um i they're the length of them you just can't work very long on poems this long for Mm -hmm. this long um but then also there's just not much depth going on so there's not things happening like meter or um uh there's not anything technical happening yeah and so that's the first reason that people hate her. Okay. But – oh, okay, sorry. And now here's the set. Here's another reason why people hate her. She's incredibly popular. So you have these – if she yeah. was just writing these poems and she was popular or whatever, like even if she had a lot of Instagram followers, who gives a shit? No one. But it's that she does this and now she's on Jimmy – which which Jimmy was she on? <laughs> she was on Fallon. I mean maybe Jimmy. she was on more than one Jimmy, but – when we were Googling, I found a clip of her on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. She was on Jimmy Fallon. She was on, as I said, the cover of Cosmopolitan. Emma Watson is, like, giggling as she's interviewing her. Um, and she's young, too. She's yeah. young. She's younger than we are. Um, yeah. I think she's 26 now. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, she's 
she's so popular and uh when you are somebody who goes into a huge amount of debt to be able to get the education that you want to need that you want to be able to write poems it really hurts to see somebody uh write these poems which seem to be antithetical to what you've been taught as a good poem succeed because what other poets are 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 on the covers of magazines None. <laughs> none. Zero. I mean, none for a long time. And and also, um, you know, something that somebody – I heard somebody talk about this, which is that, like, poets just are not valued in our society, um, which is to say, like, not valued like they don't – people. it's not that people look at us and think that we're trash, but we don't have a monetary value. Right. So can you imagine for a second if – I were we if we lived in a different world and I said, you know what a really great way to make money is? Just get really good at throwing a ball. <laughs> There's a couple different balls you can throw. But you can make a lot of money if you just throw a ball like really well. Mm-hmm. That's because we value the entertainment of sports. And I just want to say I am not a super big fan of sports and I don't think you are either. But we have we have put an inordinate weight on the ability to throw a ball. And there's there have been societies where somebody could have been great at throwing a ball and they would not have made that much money. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to another point that Sarah brought up with me today, which is that, brought up to me today, which is that um, this would be a problem, wouldn't be a problem if there wasn't capitalism, right? Yeah. <laughs> that because- could be almost every conversation that you could have with me (laughs) or with Sarah will lead to that point. Yes. (laughs) But specifically here, what's happening is that, you know, there's very limited resources. Okay. So for the record, for writers, there's limited resources, right? Mm -hmm. But for poets, there's even less. Right. Poets do not make money. Nobody, there's one poet, I was told this once, I don't know exactly how this is true. Jane Hirschfield is the only poet in the United States who makes her living only from giving readings and writing books. And I don't even know who that is. Yes, she. I think she's boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, which other people have been like, I don't know. Apparently boring is a word I use for poems a lot. And um, I used it earlier. And, yeah, you did. And uh, I've said this to my professor Jen and she's been like, it's not boring. Why do you keep saying this? But um, I guess I just want poems to, not always, but my poems that are my favorite poems are poems that feel like they rip me in half and put me back together. And mm-hmm. when a poem doesn't do that, I think it's boring. Yeah. And I think that it's totally fair to have those standards. I mean, I've, um, I've, I don't read a lot of poetry, but I have started to feel that way and I guess I've always felt that way, but I've started to really validate that feeling in myself when mm-hmm. I am watching a film or uh, reading some fiction or something like that. I'm, I'm, I've, I've started to validate the feeling of like, well, it, if this is not bad, but yeah. but it's also not wowing me, then uh, it's it's boring, and and uh, that might be a pretty scathing indictment yes yes um so right so so 
there just aren't very many resources for poets. Mm -hmm. The resources that we do have are piecemeal at best Mm -hmm. to make a living. Um, And then to have one person sort of rise from this untraditional path Mm -hmm. and be making a lot of money, of course people hate on her. But I – and this is where I get to, I think, sort of my conclusions about this. (laughs) Conclusions. I I put in heavy scare quotes. Uh Um. Which is that – oh, because I haven't even mentioned, I think, maybe one of the most important things here, which is that hating on Rupi Kaur too much, Kaur too much is kind of racist, right? Yeah. She's a woman of color. Right. Um, she is Canadian, so she's a foreigner. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding about the foreigner Canadian thing. Um, but yeah, she's she's an Indian Canadian woman. Mm-hmm. Um she is she's brown she's very clearly brown a lot of her poems um she feels centers her brownness mm-hmm. um i think that they're cliche and if you hadn't told me she was brown for a lot of them i i wouldn't know notice but mm-hmm. you know she's seeing it through that lens and i'm not going to take that uh, away from her clearly right. um and so you know in some ways especially when other women and when other people of color are tearing her down it's sort of like, you know, let a let a girl make her cash. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And more power to her. Uh, I, I brought up the question of where our standards for poems were coming from because I wanted to bring that kind of shadow of academia onto the conversation. I'm glad that you talked about how you also bring your past in spoken word and and online poetry before social media to Mm -hmm. it so that's like you have like a grab bag of of um different uh sources for your standards um but also or not even but and also uh a lot of our you know we we have been trained to talk about uh literature Yes. Uh, to talk about writing, creative writing, works of writing, we've been trained by uh, academic workshops. So, so like we've really been like put through that A ringer. Yeah, put through that ringer of like, okay, we have you know the the a, a, a sort of uniformity of like what we're looking for and and you know uh, the 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 terms that we're going to use to talk about it and try to break it down and and analyze it and if that comes from creative writing workshops and we took those creative writing workshops at universities where we got our undergraduate and our graduate degrees then like that's tied into like like you were saying you know the you know the uh, hegemony of of white male writers who have ruled that space for so long so so to so, so like our our way of talking about this, as long as we are sort of in that writing workshop mindset, mm-hmm. then we are sort of ensnared by the patriarchy. Right, exactly. And, and this conversation actually sort of reminds me of a review that I saw of the film uh, Suspiria. Uh, not the original Suspiria, but the sort of remake that came out this year. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about. 
No, I don't know about the first or the second. Yeah, so there's this movie called Suspiria that came out this year, and uh, it was directed... Uh, real, real quick side note, listeners, my little goslings, this is exactly what I mean when I say Will will go out of his way to give me context to then make a yeah. specific reference. Right. Continue. I've just automatically <laughs> launched into uh, what this, uh, where this comes from, what it means. Um, did you uh, see, or at least you've heard of uh, Call Me By Your Name? Yes. came out last year. So the guy who directed that uh, made this movie, Suspiria, that came out this year. Very different movie. It's a horror uh-huh. movie. Oh. And the cast is, I think, um, sp- okay, slight spoiler here. Spoilers for Suspiria. Um, the cast is, I think, 100% women. Oh. And the review that I was reading was uh, basically saying that uh, it's the 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 fact that this uh version of suspiria this movie uh subverts uh narrative conventions to the point that it it doesn't have a, a traditional narrative um it doesn't have the nar- any narrative that we're used to seeing like that in itself is is a feminist act that oh, like yeah. the, uh-huh. the the you know the hero's journey the the Joseph Campbell the the story structure that we're used to that's all patriarchal mm-hmm. and if you do something very different from that you know spotlighting women while you're doing it that's mm-hmm. you know it, that that makes this a a, a feminist movie so I, I'm just thinking about that review as we're talking about you know bringing our writing workshop sort of standards to ruby core because it's yeah (laughs) it's like well yeah is is she doing something by 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 writing poems that we think are shitty yeah (laughs) is she like subverting the patriarchy in this you know way that uh might might be cause for celebration or something yeah, I, I want to end with um, – I think that you're asking the right questions. And I want to end um, with not my voice but with Dinez Smith's voice. This mm-hmm. is from an interview. Um, Dinez Smith is a queer um, person of color poet. Um, and he had sort of posted something. Um, so first let me read some tweets of his or, or of them. They use they uh, – I'm seeing now. Oh. He, they – now use they pronouns i don't know when that happens or also that bitch according to uh twitter (laughs) this so i apologize for the times that i use the incorrect pronouns earlier in this podcast i am learning this information now and i am adjusting and now Mm -hmm. we can let this be so they it's easy it's easy to just adjust easy thing to do yes i was wrong i well i had information the information changed and i just learned it and now i'm i'm here So on the 5th of October 2017, Denez Smith said, let Rupi Kaur be. And before someone pulls the receipts on a sassy tweet I sent once, I I had to sit down and interrogate myself over that. Like, she's brown and young and making bank, and people see something of value in her work, so let's just all shut the fuck up. If you don't want to read it, don't read it. Mission accomplished. Until then, let mama get her coin and let her fans get their lives. (laughs) Yeah. I I think about... uh... First of all, yeah, when he said pulling the, you know, before you pull the receipts on on, a, on something that I, I, I tweeted, uh, did I say he? Sorry if I said he. 
um, when they uh, uh, said that, when uh, you uh, read that, I was thinking, oh, that's also going to be part of our conversation in our next episode. <laughs> um, but um, uh, what what they said about um, y- y- if you don't like it, you don't have to read it. Um, I, I uh, remind myself of that a lot. I feel that way a lot. I think those thoughts a lot. And then... Uh, I also think like, well, what an easy way to shut down a conversation is that is, is it worth having a conversation about like, well, if, if there's media that I don't like, sure, I can just ignore it and say, well, it's not for me. I don't need everything to be for me and to my life. Right. But at the same time, if it is super popular, like overwhelmingly popular, then like, isn't isn't it going to like possibly shift culture in a way that's going to have a significant enough impact that it's like it's it's worth you know undermining it and criticizing it lest it yes. do some kind of lasting damage on an entire medium so, or or like the a note a note about publishing. that. And God, I can't believe we've now started talking about Twilight, but this is what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> so when um. When there was a person that I knew that was going to be teaching writing to youth and um, this person had not read Harry Potter and I'm still not sure if this person has read Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. but um, I said to them, you should read Harry Potter and they sort of said, I just, you know, said something like, I don't really have the time for that. And I was sort of furious because um, regardless of whether or not you like or hate Harry Potter, I feel that it has enough of a cultural importance that you should be aware of it because if you're going to specifically going to be teaching people in that genre, Mm. in the genre of writing, Mm. and there are people who are youth, they're probably going to come to you with the understanding that this is my this might be my favorite thing or this is my favorite thing. Yeah. Which is part of the reason why I think that reading Rupi Kaur's poems or being aware of Rupi Kaur is important for us, you and I as writers. Right. Because um, we might have to have an interaction with somebody where somebody says to me, this is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to speak to that. Right. Um, another another um, Denez Smith quote i want to read really quick yeah um so in the first part of this they say the thing about so apparently the tweet originally said friends don't let friends read rupee core unironically and it says i ended up deleting that classic joke Um, format (laughs) not at all hack And, (laughs) and so then they say do i think the work and this is where the rigorous thing comes up do i think the work is rigorous no do i think the work has something to teach me no, Denez Smith, by the way, is an amazing poet. I absolutely oh, yeah. suggest reading their book. I, I, um, I said earlier, I don't read a lot of poetry. I have read Don't Call Us Dead by Denez Smith. And yeah, uh, I highly, highly recommend it to anyone and everyone. Yes. Um, but I don't want to be in the business of denying whatever truth or healing or reflection people find in the work. There has to be a reason why her poems resonate with so many people, and that's a beautiful thing. For me, the poems are simplistic. A lot of the things I've read in the Instagram poetry movement, I don't even know if that's the, if it's right to call it a movement, haven't felt fresh or new. They feel like recycled bits I've heard in many poems or things I'd tell my students to take out of their work. Um, and then... They say they say some other things. 
Um, but they say, but then they say, me saying that her poems aren't pushing anywhere artistically isn't saying that her experience is invalid or that she doesn't deserve to have the things she has or that people shouldn't like her work or the way she's writing um, her way into the world isn't va- valid or meaningful. It isn't to shame survivors. I'm a survivor myself. But it is to say that I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Rupi Kaur is doing the same thing as Patricia Smith. I'm not going to act like a lot of people who are interested in this Instagram type work that feels very rapidly produced and not thought through are doing the same thing as me. That feels like a respect for craft and influence. I hope as we continue to move through poetry with space left, I hope we can, I hope that as we continue to move through poetry with a space left for critique. So that's also not to say that my poetry is necessarily better. People find fault with my work and I love it. You have to be able to take critique. Where where did they say all this? Um, So they said this in an interview and I actually can't find the actual original interview, but I found um, somebody had tweeted um this like screenshots of it and quoted it and when i i knew that i knew that i had read that denez had said something on this and so i i have that link so i'll i'll put that in the show notes for you to look at yeah um i'm not gonna try to you will specifically yes no one else (laughs) i um yeah i'm not even gonna try to respond to that directly because i just don't think that my voice um, i don't think that this conversation needs my voice <laughs> anymore yeah, yeah i know what you mean uh, than it than it has had it uh up to this point i i did want to respond to something a couple of things that you said um yeah earlier when you were saying that uh poetry uh sometimes it, it should should take into account the history of poetry Mm-hmm. And what you were saying about how, you know, like a teacher has a responsibility or a teacher of writing has a responsibility to, to keep up with, you know, what's popular, what's going on. Um, and, and we have that responsibility to some, to some extent as writers who are trying to, you know, get our work published rather than yeah. putting it out there ourselves or something like that. Um, I, I was just reminded of um, when I was in grad school and, and I lived with a poet who was in uh, my program, uh, the program with me. And uh, he he was very often frustrated that we were not uh, being assigned to read more uh, contemporary things. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. part of the reason for that was that unlike... Uh, I'm going to say all of my peers who have gotten mm-hmm. their master's degrees. Um, I didn't get an MFA. I got, I went into an MA program. Yeah. And I was very much sort of in the mix with uh, people who were there to get their literature or their uh, ret comp uh, masters and mm-hmm. uh, also PhDs. So uh, even though we were there for creative writing, we were taking um lit classes with the lit people etc and so um there was uh yeah it just it just felt like being an english major kind of and and um having to read a mix of like the canon and whatever the professor happened to be an expert in and uh so my roommate was frustrated that we weren't reading more contemporary stuff and I agreed with him, and yet also at the same time, (laughs) when I look back at my experience in undergrad, 
I I can't help but think, and and I, I maybe this goes for high school too. I don't know. Maybe it's education in general. I can't help but think like, why if I have two degrees in creative writing, like why are there such huge gaps in yeah. in my knowledge of literature? Yeah. Like why why are there huge you know titans in the history of you know literature? that that i'm totally unfamiliar with and like like what i like i almost i i i feel like responding to what my roommate was complaining about in grad school i almost feel like like i i i have the rest of my life to read <laughs> you know what is being published that year you know yeah, whether it's yeah. what's popular what's being written by my friends or what's recommended to me by my friends or whatever but but while i'm in academia and while i'm getting my degrees like what like why you know why are they not filling every gap with like you you know you have to you have to read jane austen and you have to you know just like why why aren't they going through like a checklist why is my checklist so incomplete (laughs) yeah and i think i know too i thought about that a lot because when you know i read we i read very little um classic works in in undergrad and we were in the same program though I think we took slightly differently focused classes Mm -hmm. and um I was grateful for that because I was aware of what was happening right now and a lot of my um oh no sorry I I just heard Elliot crying but I don't have to take care of him I'm recording a podcast (laughs) um a lot of the things that we read were contemporary and I was glad because a lot of the like my favorite poet is Brian Henry and Brian Henry is uh knows who I am. <laughs> yeah. So like that feels very lucky. Very cool. Um but then you know I went to grad school and I was like you know nobody told me to read Audrey Lord who is not even that old. I you know old she's dead but you know she's a poet of the 80s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um and she died of breast cancer in like 91 or 92. Um and I think she's my favorite poet that is um not alive um mm-hmm. and keats i never read keats um who is like sort of he's one of the poets i kept calling boring and jen kept yelling at me but <laughs> the reason i kept calling him boring, she i kept being like this is so boring and she'd be like liz he died when he was 25 and not all of his poems are good but because he died we've collected all of them and then also you have to realize that a lot of the things that you think are cliche he was literally the first person to do it right yeah (laughs) he was inventing them (laughs) um so yeah i think i think that is a delicate balance of like what we teach and i will say too i think something that susquehanna uh shout out to our alma mater loving mother um that's what alma mater means did you know that you know, I should. I should know that. But I don't know um, that I did know that. Something I will say that at least um, some of our professors did was part of the problem, I think, with the canon is that the canon is so white. Yes. And so, um, yes, on the one hand, and, and male, but specifically white. And right. um, I think that focusing a lot on contemporary poets lets you... Um, balance that out a little bit yeah yeah absolutely um but i also yeah i agree with you that um it's it's hard to know it's hard to know what to fight against i think if Mm -hmm. you don't understand what you're fighting against like yeah right yeah um, like like 
if you if you read the predominantly white male canon and 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 if that's what you're expected to read uh you know it it doesn't need to be taught in the context of you know these are the greats and they're the only greats and that's why we're reading that like they, you know they can be read and problematized yeah in class and and yeah i i it paralyzes me a little bit to think of trying to sit down to write and knowing that anything that I write about could be in a context that I'm totally unfamiliar with. Like, yeah, there's a whole history of, you know, things that have been published and, and, and some of it, you know, to great acclaim, you know, some of it very famously. And I, and and for me to be unfamiliar with that, it's 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 uh, intimidating to say mm-hmm. the least. Um, so I have I have two takeaways from this. Yes. Um, the first is that um, I think that it's okay to not like Rupi Kaur's work as long as you don't hate on it too much. I think that mm-hmm. Denez said it best. Mm-hmm. But the the um, metaphor i'll make is that if somebody wants to go to ac moore and buy fun fur which i think is the worst type of yarn okay and knit a and knit a scarf um do you know what fun fur is i don't think fun, i do fun fur is that yarn that it's a it's a strand i'm of course i'm of course doing things with my hands you can't see it's a strand but then from the strand are um you know if the strand is a vertical or a horizontal line like a plane yeah. There's lines coming up and down like um, roots and um, stalks of grass okay. up and down. So when you knit with it, it's very fuzzy. Okay. Um, and it's, I think, trashy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a trashy yarn. <laughs> but if, if somebody wants to go and buy fun fur and knit with it and knit a scarf and give it to their friends um, on straight needle, like on straight needles that are like giant needles so that they aren't very many stitches per line and it's very quick to do. Um, there's clearly nothing wrong with that. That person is having a good time. The person who wears the scarf might like it because they think it's really fuzzy and cute and that's all fine. But I think that that is different than my grandmother who went to a farm she picked a sheep she had that sheep sheared she cleaned the wool she carded it which is what you a thing you do to um straighten out the strands between these two board boarded combs basically they're called cards okay she then uh, dyed this wool um she spun the wool into yarn she then plied the wool so she made it um instead of just a single thread she made it double thick and then she knit me a sweater with a pattern i'm pretty sure she made up mm-hmm. this is my most prized possession this sweater i'll mm-hmm. i'll take a picture of the sweater to put on um the, the thing yeah. the show notes um it's not even that technically perfect of a sweater, but the amount of craft and mm-hmm. technical work that went into that sweater yeah. is totally different than somebody who knits at with fun fur from AC Moore a scarf on straight needles. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, that doesn't make one thing any um less legitimate as an experience than the other but i think it does take into account this level of craft that i think Mm -hmm. i'm talking about 
Yeah. And I think that that can be okay. Absolutely. The the second thing I want to say is I think that we just have to um, view Instagram poetry as a different genre. Yeah. And I think that that is important because um, genre – what is what is the purpose of a genre as far as, as far as I'm concerned? Genre allows you to have conventions for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you have a genre that's different than what we're thinking of as poetry, like as lyric poetry that's different, it's Instagram poetry, it allows you to move the, the goalposts as right. to what's expected. And then it um, can still live in the world of poetry, but I think it also then does not have the same standards um because i think that what she's doing here is again it's very aesthetically pleasing to look at her instagram page she's doing something very specific with form in that sense in the way that she's organizing her photographs and her poems in this grid um and she's using the convention of the instagram grid in a very specific way and that's all very intentional and so and of course that's very pleasing for people to look at so i think that if we look at Instagram poetry and her poetry within that genre as a separate genre, mm-hmm. it, um, I think that it really relieves me of a lot of the stress that I feel yeah. <laughs> when I read her poems. And clearly that self-imposed stress, but, mm-hmm. um, because then, you know, it's sort of like if you were to listen to Blink-182, um, and Why? then listen to... <laughs> What you don't like Blink One Eighty Two? Fuck you, man! Oh man, I'm just I'm just being a little shit. <laughs> Ain't I a stinker? I mean, I don't think I don't know. I Blink One Eighty Two is one of those bands that I feel nostalgic for, but I didn't even super love them when they were popular. But mm. that's fine. Um, but my point being is, if you were to compare, um, you know, Blink One Eighty Two to the Nutcracker, mm-hmm. Blink One Eighty Two is going to sound like bullshit. Mm-hmm. Compared to the Nutcracker, which yeah. we were just listening to, which is why I, I bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you suddenly put them in these different genres, it's fine. So I think it's just mm-hmm. what we have to do. And that's yeah. my conclusion. Yeah, Rupi Carr made Rupi Carr's in her own genre, Rupi but Cor. that doesn't mean that she's not knitting with fun fur. Okay, yeah. I, that's to- uh, that makes complete total sense to me. Um, may I, uh, take a moment before we, I assume, wrap things up soon, uh, to introduce another poet into this conversation? Oh, please. I just wanted to say, um, having not read any Rupi Kaur poems, having not looked at her Instagram, but being vague, I never mentioned this, but I think the reason that I'm vaguely aware of what her whole thing is, is because Mm -hmm. I've seen people dunk on her on Twitter. (laughs) So just yeah, because fair. I've seen the jokes, I get like, oh, okay, I think I get what she's doing. Uh, I've seen like parodies of it and stuff. Mm. Or maybe I saw the real thing and thought it was a parody. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, God, this is a terrible segue. Uh, <laughs> I was, We're also going to be talking about segues in a future episode, but for reasons that you know, but they'll learn. <laughs> so I was going to say, and now I really wish that I hadn't set myself up for this. I was going to say. That thinking about what I vaguely knew of Rupi Kaur reminded me of this other poet, and that doesn't <laughs> doesn't sound good. But uh, it's a it's a poet that I actually like, I really like. I, as I said, uh, don't re- read a ton of poetry, but in the year 2018, I did set out to read more poetry and more mm-hmm. 
nonfiction uh, rather than uh, short stories and novels like I'm usually prone to doing. And one of the books that I picked up uh, at the beginning of this year is um, called Cheap Yellow by Shai Watson. Are you familiar oh. with this at all? No. So um, I knew what this book was before I picked it up because I uh, followed Shai Watson on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, I'm not on Instagram, so if mm-hmm. Shai Watson were an Instagram poet, uh, I guess I wouldn't know it. But uh, uh, I, I can't I, believe she, you just said that. Uh, unlike Ruby Core, um, you know this this book, uh, Cheap Yellow. It's published by uh, Civil Coping Mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not self-published, as far as I know. It was never self-published, and. Um, I've seen Shai Watson's work published in um, several literary journals. So this is someone who uh, my impression is that they are going down our path to publication mm-hmm. rather than the path that Ruby Core took. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the whole reason that I'm bringing up Shai Watson is that um, there's some uh, variety to the uh, length of the poems in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are, uh, long, as long as you probably would think a poem to be. Some of them are very, very short though. Um, so for example, uh, this one is, uh, two lines long, uh, okay. unless, unless you count the title. Okay. The title is, I don't know how to better communicate it. You are a sailboat. And I am nothing at all. That's a poem. And I'm holding it up yes. to the camera so that Liz can see the poem. Yeah, it's how very it short. The, the, the title is longer than the actual poem. I also want to bring up, and this is not a poet, but I want to bring up um, Lydia Davis. Yeah. Lydia Davis is known for writing these incredibly short um, stories, um, some of which are only a couple of sentences. And they also have, I think... Um, uh, a similar resonance to that. Um, I also want to bring up, let me see if I can find, there was this book of um, poetry that Kenny got for me at AWP in Seattle, which was the only, AWP is the, um, uh, the uh, conference, the Association of Writers and Writing Programs conference. And we go to uh, this, I go to this every year. I've gone every year since 2009, except for Seattle. And um, Kenny also works there um and there was this book that he got me there called sexual boat sex boats (laughs) by this guy named james gendron and these poems were really really weird um but a lot of them were short and a lot of them really did use this sort of very um i don't want to say generic language but language that you know if you're just looking at the words could come across as seeming very cliche Mm -hmm. but he's doing something that is um very weird and so here's here's a an excerpt from this um this is actually exactly the excerpt i wanted so thanks uh octopus books who published this for knowing that this is the poem i wanted to read nice so this is an excerpt from it uh did you realize the human body has got over seven miles of braided thoughts under this girdle of fat i'm wasting away in a sweater eating from a bucket in fat i see myself distilled more honestly than in my face it stuffs me full of the full of non-predestined life. 
pain. Where do you come from? I feel you because I'm emotional. And I feel you again because I'm re-emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember reading this and being like, oh my god, there's another poem somewhere um, that I really liked by him um, that was like something like, um, how did the poet, like, how bad was the genocide, said the women in their bikinis or something like that. Um, where it was just a very, very short poem. Um, and, but had this very specific imagery and that, that made it interesting and, and have depth and have something to sort of mull over more so than um, what I think. I think other poets we've discussed today. Yeah. I, I, I've been flipping while you've been talking, I've been flipping through uh, cheap yellow by shy Watson. And I found the shortest work in the book. Uh -huh. And this is on page one sixteen. It's called if she, it, ugh, let me, <laughs> excuse me. Um, if she's happy, I'm happy. But what if she's not? <laughs> that's that's yeah you heard the and title say, and then you heard the one line besides you know for that poem too this is and this is also something i want to say about context really quick because that poem is short and i actually don't think that poem is that remarkable but my guess is based on the other things that you've read to me from that book so far and the other things I've seen is mm -hmm. it's that one poem is that short amongst other poems right. which have exactly. more depth. Yeah, it could it, it could only have the impact that it has being published in a book of poems rather than, say, being published uh, on its own. Um, so I'm really not being fair to the author by, by pulling these out. Um, this is a book I love, by the way, in case I haven't made it clear. I love this book. Cheap Yellow by uh -huh. Shai Watson. I'm just going to read one more. Uh, another short one, though not quite as short as the others. It's called X. I am guilty for the yellow carpet in the dining room, the china everywhere, all cold and exposed. Oh, my God. That's that one. I'm going to read you the shortest poem I have ever read. I've ever written. Okay. And I think... Do you have anything else to say? Because I think that might be a good place to end. Let me do one more Shy Watson one because okay. I have this one uh, highlighted. So I must have liked it when I read this book. Okay. It's called Summer is Fading and So Am I. One of these days I will braid your hair. I've been meaning to do everything for a very long time. Oh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because when you have that really specific sort of image contrasted with that more generic statement, mm -hmm. it puts weight on both of them. Yeah. Um, so this, this is the shortest poem, and then I think we'll say goodbye to our goslings. Mm -hmm. um, this is the shortest poem I've ever written. It's from my Ashley Sugarnotch and the Wolf series, which if you wanted to read these poems, I've gotten some of them published. You can go to my website, elizabethdeannamorrislegs.com. And... Um, the wolf is a wolf in folklore, and he is um, really struggling at this point in the manuscript with whether or not he is going to be able to not um, murder Ashley Sugarnotch, the other character. Mm -hmm. And the poem is called The Wolf Asks. 
The wolf asks, If I ask for forgiveness, now will it rinse me of the guilt like ballast ballast stones sinking? So before we say goodbye, let me just ask you, because I'm curious, uh, because of the way that we were just talking about the shortest of Shai Watson's poems, is is that a poem that you would have you slash would you try to get that published on its own? The Ashley Sugarnatch and the Wolf poems are, um, I always try to get published in bundles because they, uh, because they're so narrative and they, they're these two characters that speak to one another. Right. But yes, I would try to get this poem published in a bundle. So, but you wouldn't expect a lit mag editor. You wouldn't expect any any publisher to to read that poem and go, "This one, just that one." Yeah, you no. want to publish the okay, yeah, yeah. No, I no because you need to you need the context of why mm-hmm. he wants to um, why he is guilty. <laughs> yeah. So, do you know what ballast stones are? By the way, no, I don't. Please tell me. They're these rocks that people would use to weight ships. Oh, yeah. So when um, you had a ship and it had a cargo and then you got rid of some of the cargo, but not all of the cargo, you uh-huh. didn't want the boat to be unbalanced. Right. So the idea here, to explain my own poem to you, please, is that uh, if ballast stones are sinking, then it's probably a, a sinking ship. Uh-huh. And so if the wolf is asking... To be rinsed of guilt like ballast stone sinking. It's like you're being cleansed of guilt, but you're also being separated from everything Mm. that is on the surface. Right. You're going under. Cool. Yeah, poets love that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Metaphor? Metaphor? I was thinking of like vocabulary words. (laughs) I, I I meant like metaphor that relies on like. Have you heard of this one specific nautical term? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, well, I think it's time to sign off. Let's turn the mics off and keep talking about writing. Okay. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. And I love you, our little goslings. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one. And his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>